we're going to today just kind of take the theme and just sort of break it down. So we want to look at the spirit, the church, and the world, because this pretty much summarizes the contents of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the spirit's work through the church in the world. That's pretty much the story of the book. So we're going to look, first of all, at the spirit. And of course, the spirit here is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it like this or not, but this is, this is how we need to understand the book of Acts. What the gospels are to Jesus, and they are what? They are, the gospels are to us a revelation of the, the life and the ministry, uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ. What the gospels are, the focal point of the gospels is Jesus. The focal point of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we absolutely cannot lose sight of is who the Holy Spirit is. Because just like Jesus is God the Son, well, the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. So we're not talking about, um, you know, someone who's inferior. We're not talking about someone who's, you know, just completely different. Uh, we're, We're talking about the third person of the Trinity when we're talking about the Spirit. And as the book of Acts begins, uh, Luke is the author of Acts. We'll go into that in more detail next time. Uh, Luke is the author of Acts, but remember, Acts is the sequel to Luke's gospel. And right here at the beginning, as we read, remember, Luke says this. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. So, Luke's gospel is what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is what Jesus continues to do, but he does it through the person of the Spirit. There are some 60 references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And and I think that the book of Acts should really be uh, entitled the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Instead of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, it really should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you wanted to get you know, super uh, specific about it, you would have to say it's the book of the Acts of the apostles and other people, some apostles and, and other people. Uh, but the, the very title, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, was tagged onto this book in the middle of the second century uh, as a response to a heresy that had developed at that time. So the Amarchianite heresy uh, had arisen at this time that that essentially said there was only one apostle, and that was Paul. And so they took Acts to prove that, no, there were other apostles. So they, they tagged this name onto it, the Acts of the Apostles. But really, as you look at it, it it's, it's better understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's really what um, the book is about. It's about the, the working of the Spirit. Now, Remember this as well, that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So like I was saying a moment ago, when we're talking about the acts of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about what the Lord is doing. So in some ways, although there's obviously a distinction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, in other ways, there's not a distinction in the sense that uh, when we're talking about what the Spirit is doing, we're talking about what Jesus is doing. We're talking about what the Lord is doing. Now, unfortunately, in the church, the Holy Spirit has oftentimes um, 
well, been misrepresented. You know, there, there are Christians who, when you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, they start to sweat. They start to get nervous. They think, oh no, what's going to happen? It's probably going to get weird in here. You know, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, unfortunately, there are people who talk about the Holy Spirit and it does get weird, but the weirdness is not the Holy Spirit. Just remember the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So when the Spirit shows up and when the Spirit is at work and when the Spirit is moving, what you're going to sense is that Jesus is here. Jesus is moving. Jesus is working. Jesus told his dejected, perplexed disciples on that night before he went to the cross, when they were all concerned about the fact that he's telling them that, that he's going to go away. And they're like, what, what, what do you mean? You're going to go away. Where are, you, where are you going? And they were afraid that they were going to be left alone. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but don't worry. I'm not going to leave you orphan. He said, I'm going to send you another helper. And, and the word there, another, it, it means another one who's just like me. So that was the promise of Jesus, that he would send the Spirit, who would essentially, like I said, who would really just pick up his work and carry it on. That's what the Spirit is doing. Now, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, that is where we have the most thorough um, instruction from Jesus on uh, the person and the work of the Spirit. So let me, let me just read over what Jesus said about the Spirit from those chapters, and it'll help us again to just get a clear picture of what we can expect as the Holy Spirit is working among us. So Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, he will testify of me. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So these are, these are the things that Jesus said the Spirit would do. He's going to bring everything to your remembrance. He's going to take what, what I've said, and he's going to declare that to you. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And of course, here, as we move into the book of Acts, we see that he is the one who's going to uh, empower the servants of Christ to fulfill um, the plan and the purpose of God through the church. So the Spirit is front and center here in this book. Let me say one last thing. The acts of the Holy Spirit recorded here in this book are not limited to this book. In other words, the Holy Spirit is still working today and will do so until his work of applying the redemptive work of Christ to sinners is done. 
So the Holy Spirit is still at work. You know, when you read the book of Acts, if you've read it before, or as you see as we go through it, 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 it ends, but it sort of doesn't end. It's like when it ends, you're thinking, wait, why, why is it ending here? There's still more to the story. Yes, there's more to the story. And I can imagine that, um, you know, perhaps one day when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that, oh, there were many, many more chapters in Acts than were actually uh, given to us initially, uh, because the work of the Spirit went on and on and on. There, there's a network of churches known as Acts 29. And um, of course, they're, you know, they took that name to, to kind of express this very idea that the the Spirit's work is not completed. I, that's good. I like that. That's right. But there's not just Acts 29. There's Acts 30 and Acts 50 and Acts 90. And, you know, it goes all the way on to the present time and beyond where we're at today. So the Spirit, that's where we start. But secondly, we're looking at the church. We're talking about the church. Acts is about the birth, development, and progress of the church. But here's a question. What is the church? Now, most of us understand this, but let me just clarify it for maybe somebody who's newer or somebody hasn't thought about it. The church is not the building. The building is, is just the building. But I think in our culture, we oftentimes, you know, we drive by a church. We point to a building and we say, that's a church. Uh, but really, the building is the, the house of the church. The church are us, the people. The church are the, the people of God, not the particular building that we gather in. The, the word church in English comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. And this word, ecclesia, originally referred to a gathering of citizens called out from their homes to attend special meetings of the council. Those, here, here's the important point. Those of the ecclesia were seen as distinct from the other people in the community. So in the Greek world and in the Roman world, you had two kinds of people. You had citizens, and then you had everybody else. So the citizens, they were the ecclesia. They were the ones who were called out to be part of the leadership or the governance of, of the communities or to participate in that. So when it comes to the church, when you apply the word ecclesia to Christians, it's referring to God having called them out of the world to be his own special people. So that's the emphasis of the word ecclesia. It's the fact that we are called out. John Stott put it this way in referring to Peter's statement in 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter says that the church is a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He said the church is both a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, which is worship, and a holy nation to spread abroad God's praises, which is witness. Every Christian congregation is called by God to be a worshiping, witnessing community. So the church are those who have been called out of the world to worship God, separated from the world, but yet sent back into the world to bear witness for Christ and to spread his kingdom. Now, the Bible is full of 
many different uh, pictures or metaphors that are used to um, speak about the church. Uh, one metaphor uh, that is used is the bride of Christ. Um, the household of God is another. The body of Christ is another. The temple of the Holy Spirit is another. And, and we could go on with the list, but there are three things that I want to, to highlight when we think about the church and, and what it is, what its identity is, what its function is. It is, first of all, a city that is set up on a hill or um, the light of the world, as Jesus said, or light shining in the darkness. And the picture there is that the church is like a beacon of light guiding the way to safety. So this is, this is what, the, what the church is. The, the church is the light of the world. The, uh, what's, what's being implied there is that the world is in darkness and that people are lost and people uh, can't find their way and people are in danger of becoming shipwreck and all of those kinds of things. Like a lighthouse signals to uh, the ships out at sea that they're getting near to the shore. So, and, and of course, the danger is the, the real message that's being sent. The church is that signal. We, we are sending that signal of light out into the world to help people come into a safe harbor, so to speak, to come into safety through, obviously, ultimately trusting Christ. So that's one picture of the church. Another picture is that the church is a colony of heaven on earth. A colony of heaven on earth. Now, this is one I want us to really think about. Now, a colony uh, is a um, it, it is a place where, say, the the uh, the center of the empire has a colony is it's it's moved itself to another geographical location. And it's just reproduced itself there. So, you know, at one time in, in our country, uh, we started out as, as British colonies. And of course, we revolted against that at a certain point, And that's how we came into existence as an independent nation. Uh, Britain had a vast empire. There were many, many countries around the world that were part of the British empire. When those countries became independent, some of them wanted to remain in a relationship with Britain. And so today we have what's known as the Commonwealth countries. Commonwealth countries are, are countries who were formerly colonies of Britain, but are now independent. But they still have retained much of British uh, culture. So I've, I've had the opportunity to travel to many of the Commonwealth countries. And of course, I've spent much time in England itself. And the interesting thing is when you go into these different Commonwealth countries, there's always a feel of Britain there, whether it's Australia or New Zealand or South Africa or Canada even, or, you know, some of the different places you go there and you just, you kind of just, there's a British feel there that we don't have here because we came, became independent so much further back in history. But so the church is a colony of heaven on the earth. 
So when people come into the church, the gathering, when they come into the building where we, the people of God, are gathered, there should be an atmosphere of heaven. That's what people should sense. There should be like a taste of heaven. There should be something here that reminds people primarily about heaven, about God, and about his kingdom. And to me, that's such a beautiful thing. I I love that picture. And that's what the Lord is seeking to cultivate. So as you go into a congregation of God's people, it is not to primarily reflect the immediate culture or the nationality or, or those things. Those things are obviously going to be part of it to some degree, but the bigger picture and the, the greater atmosphere is to be that of heaven. And heaven is made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so the, it, the church should be a place where people from every single background, every single ethnicity, whatever, that everybody comes together and feels welcome and comfortable together because we're all in the atmosphere of heaven. We're all in that place where we're all standing uh, equal before God and one another. So the church is a colony of heaven on earth. And then thirdly, the church is an outpost for the true king behind enemy lines and a base of operation for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. The church is an outpost for the true king behind enemy lines. According to the Bible, the world itself, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but the world itself is under the dominion of Satan. So the, the world itself is at, at the present time, it's the enemy's turf, so to speak. So, so every church is in reality an outpost of the true king behind enemy lines, wherever we are in the world. If you, wherever you go in the world, you're going to find that there is a, a system that is set up. There's a, there's a, a political system. There's a, a philosophical perspective. And, and those things are, by and large, almost 100% of the time, they are representative, not of the true king, but of the usurper. They are, they are representing uh, the powers of darkness, And so wherever a church is established, we become an outpost, but we also become a base of operation. You see, that's what we're doing. We are going into enemy territory and we are taking back from the enemy what uh, does not belong to him, but really what belongs to Christ. Because not only did he create it, but he purchased it with his blood. So the church is a place where we are being strengthened, where we are being instructed, where we are being equipped, and from which we are being sent out with the message that there is another king, that there is a true king, that Jesus is the rightful Lord. So the church, a city set up on a hill, a colony of heaven on earth, an outpost for the true king behind enemy lines. So thirdly, we have the world. So the world 
is the place where the Spirit carries out his mission through the church. So the world is, is the place of mission. And so in Acts, these are the things that are emphasized. The Spirit, the church, and the world. Because it's through the church that the Spirit is reaching out to the world. Now, the mission of the Spirit through the church is to bring the gospel of eternal salvation and all of its implications for life and godliness to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation scattered across the planet. So that's what the mission of the church is in the world. And I want you to notice there are two things here. There's, first of all, bringing the gospel of eternal salvation. And then there's, secondly, uh, bringing all of the implications for life and godliness. There are two things there. The first is that we're preaching the gospel, the, me the message of salvation that comes through faith in Christ. But then we are discipling people. We are training people. We are making them followers of Christ where they're able to take and apply all of the implications of the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. They're able to apply that in their lives. You see, when Jesus sent his followers out into the world, he told them not simply to go out and preach in the sense of a message of salvation. Of course, that's, it has to start there. But he said, go and make disciples of all of the nations. The Greek word that's translated nations is ethnos. And so in, in biblical times, they didn't have nations like we know them today so much. But it was just all of the various ethnicities throughout the earth. Go and make disciples from among the, the various ethnicities. So a disciple is a person who not just believes in the sense that, oh, yes, I recognize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But a disciple is somebody who has embraced that and is now following that, and their lives are being transformed through the power of the gospel. It's interesting. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, now he writes to the church in Rome, so that tells us, first of all, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians, and he says to them that he cannot wait to come there and to preach the gospel to them. And you think, well, why is Paul going to go preach the gospel to Christians in Rome? You see, Paul understood that the gospel wasn't just simply the initial message of salvation. Paul understood that the gospel was the full implication of all that Christ did through the cross. And that's what he was anxious to come to Rome and to teach them all that the cross actually implies for life and for godliness. So that's what the church is doing in the world. Now, let me just say this about the world. The world is simultaneously God's good creation, richly to be enjoyed by his children, and the dominion of Satan and the powers of darkness who hold men and women captive in sin and spread deceit, destruction, and death all throughout the earth. The world is simultaneously both things. So on the one hand, we are the church. We are in the world. God created the world. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. We're not to hate the world. We're not to be so disconnected from it. We're actually to, in order to impact it, we have to be connected to a certain degree. 
but we're not to embrace it as a system because the system is an antichrist system. It always has been. Some people mistakenly think that the world, when the Bible says to the Christian, do not love the world, that means, you know, you can't have anything to do with the world. You, you've got to sequester yourself uh, and, you know, keep yourself from any contact with the world. Jesus never planned that because if we did that, we would never impact the world. So when the Bible says, love not the world, it's not talking about the world of nature. It's not even necessarily talking about the world of culture, uh, unless it's, you know, sinful culture. But it's talking about the system that rejects God. It's talking about the godless worldviews and philosophies and systems that say, basically, the less of God, the better. And no God is even the best. And so that's the world. Of course, we we're not going to embrace that, but we can and should. And part of our witness is to um, enjoy God's good creation and recognize it as that. But it is in our context of, of, of Acts, the world is that dominion of the devil, where people are held captive by him, and the church is the, the Spirit's instrument to rescue them from their captivity. That's what we're doing, and that's what happened to us. All of us have been rescued from that captivity. Of course, we're all born into sin, right? And most of us were not only born into sin, we made active choices to live lives of sin. But what happened? The Spirit of God came and began to convict us of sin. And probably in most cases, somehow uh, a Christian came, a believer came and influenced us with the gospel. And now we've been delivered from that. We've been set free from that. But now we're called to get equipped and to go back in and to rescue others just as we've been rescued. So the book of Acts will show us how the Spirit through the church has set about to liberate the world from sin and death through the gospel. And in showing us how they did it, it will give us a model of how we are to do it. Like I said, the book of Acts is our, it's kind of our blueprint that this is what the church is to look like in the world. But it's not going to just give us information. It's going to remind us and emphasize to us how absolutely essential it is that we have this power of the Spirit. You see, it's not a matter of just knowing these things. That's important. But God wants us to experience these things. And so I am believing that as we go through this book of Acts, we're not just going to learn about the Holy Spirit. We're going to experience a fresh work of the Spirit among us, and that's going to translate into uh, the power of God in fresh ways in our life, the gifts of the Spirit working among us, and the gospel going out more impactfully and effectively to the world and people coming to Christ. So that's what I believe the Lord uh, has in store for us as we study together through the book of Acts and I'm excited about uh, the days ahead, and I'm excited to see how the Lord's going to work. And let me just close with this. As I said, kind of in the beginning, 
this, this is the only hope for the world. There, you know, it's, there is no hope outside of this. There, you know, if, if you are a person who are, is thinking, you know, well, we're, everything's going to get sorted out. Uh, you know, the politicians are going to take care of it. I feel sorry for you. If you, if you think that, um, that is about as clueless as you could possibly be. Or, or whatever, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the philosophers or the scientists or whoever. Uh, the, the situation has just gone so far in the wrong direction that, and the momentum is to continue to go in that direction. It's not to swing back the other way. So if there's going to be any healing of society, it's going to happen through an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God... As Jesus said, the Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what the Spirit does out in the world. But then as we're going to see next week, the Spirit comes upon the people of God to empower them. And when a convicted world meets an empowered people of God, guess what happens? Lives change. Transformation takes place. Salvation occurs. And that's what we long hope and pray for in the days ahead. So Lord, we do pray that as we embark on this study and Lord, I thank you that you have led us to this place. I firmly believe that you directed me to uh, study together with our congregation, this book of Acts. So Lord, we're anticipating that you have great things ahead for us. And Lord, we know that in this book, we see the, the outpouring of the Spirit, the coming of the Spirit. We see the gospel going forth. Uh, we also see much fierce opposition and all of those kinds of things. Lord, we see miraculous power. We also see the power of the enemy rising up. So Lord, we want to just go into it with our eyes fully open, and we want to go into it, Lord, confident that your guiding us and that you have a plan to do a good work among us and ultimately through us through this book. So we give you ourselves and this season as we go through this book, we give it all to you. We pray that you would work out your will and purposes in us and through us in Jesus name. Amen.